Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Great to see you all. And hasn't it just been fabulous to worship together like that? I tell you what, my heart is full. It's just such a, uh, ju- such a joy being in the presence of God like this, and uh, just the different words that were coming, uh, the love of God, just the sense of God's nearness to us. Uh, thank you to everyone who came up and shared and led us. Thank you, band, for doing such an awesome job uh, leading us this morning. Well done, team. Well done. So good. Uh, and uh, just another well done, Zach. Uh, put together a, a men's breakfast yes, uh, yesterday morning. Absolutely fabulous spread of food. Yeah, all the guys are very happy. Uh, and uh, so we'll be looking forward to some more of that over these coming weeks. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, my name is Reese, and I am just so thrilled to welcome you today. We are just uh, so glad to have you with us. We're so glad that uh, you're here and that we have a chance to meet you. And uh, we're trusting that today you will meet with Jesus and that he will encounter you. And, uh, and if you're not a visitor, we're also uh, trusting that Jesus will meet with you too. Uh, and uh, that he is, he's got something for us this morning. Uh, I don't know whether you can tell that even just from the way things have started, but I, I feel like God has some special gifts for people this morning. God has some things things that he wants to impart today. God has some things that he wants to do in people's hearts. Uh, and so I wonder, can I just ask us to stand for a moment uh, and, and just close your eyes, lift your hands to the Lord uh, and just say to him, Lord Jesus, I want what you have for me today. I'm coming here for you this morning. I want what you've got. I'm, I'm looking for you. I'm searching after you. I want more of you. Just tell him. I, I, my ears are open to you this morning. My heart is open to you this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd move across us even right, for right now. Just come. Start, start this, uh, this work that you're doing uh, this morning, I pray for, for gifts being given. I, I pray for, I just feel like there are gifts of transformation uh, that are coming to people. That There are some people uh, for, for you, it's like I, I've come here this morning and or maybe you're on the stream, you're joining us on the stream and you're like, I, I just, I feel very hopeless at the moment. I, I just feel like today God wants to impart hope to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's take our seats Let's take our seats. Oh, God is so good. God, you're so good. He's so good to us. Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. I uh, was watching the Olympics, the the women's 400-meter relay, and uh, Penny's incredible race uh, Penny Oleksiak, I think I've pronounced that correctly, uh, and she, uh, she, she brought uh, the Canadian team from fourth to second place, uh, and they won a silver last night, 
and just amazing. And, and she was talking in an interview with a, uh, an interviewer, and this interviewer asked her this question, um, with the Olympics delayed by a year, what does that mean for you? And her answer was fascinating. She said, it gives me a year. I'm going to take this extra year to get rid of every mistake uh, that I make in the way that I swim. I thought, wow, what a sense of clarity, what a focus on preparation, uh, what, what a sense of determination came through in that young woman. And we're going to be talking about preparation today. Preparation for ministry. Now, last week we saw uh, how the Apostle Paul, uh, or as our text is referring to him right now, is Saul, his Jewish name. Uh, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians. He was uh, hateful towards Jesus. He thought Jesus was this terrible heresy. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to imprison and uh, ultimately try and have people killed, uh, and then he encounters Jesus in this life-transforming encounter on the road to Damascus, and his life is instantly changed. And, and before Paul has any of his kind of theology sorted out, he knows one thing, and it's the one thing that he has, up till this point, given his life to fight against this idea, and this idea is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He goes and he begins to proclaim, Jesus is the Son of God. He goes into the Jewish synagogue. Now you can imagine in Damascus, the Jewish synagogue is probably buzzing because Saul, people know why Saul has come. People know about the high priest giving him authority over all the believers. And, and they've heard something's happened to Saul. But Saul is this giant intellect. He's, he's this guy who studied under Gamaliel, the most famous teacher of the day. And Paul is going to speak in the synagogue. And, and, and nobody's really sure what he's going to say. And he starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and, and I guess some are wondering, is this a trap? What, what's going on? What's going on with Saul? Is, 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 is he for real? And increasingly, he begins to speak uh, about Jesus, and he begins to minister with great power. But Saul is not yet ready for the ministry that God has for him. God has prophesied, even in that moment, even when uh, Ananias came and laid hands on Saul, God spoke over Saul that he would be God's chosen vessel to carry God's name to the Gentiles. This ministry that God has for Saul, an incredible ministry, Saul's not re yet ready for it. And there are people here in this room today, God has spoken over your life. God has spoken promises. God has spoken uh, destiny in Him over your life. And you are not yet ready for what He has for you. And, and I believe God wants to help us understand His purpose in preparation today that we might step fully into all that He has for us. So I want us to pick up the story in Acts 9. We're going to read from verse 19 uh, to, to verse 31. If if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there, uh, but read this with me. For some days, Saul was with the disciples at Damascus, 
And immediately he proclaimed, the, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. I mean, you must understand how massive it is to say to a Jewish audience, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is so confrontational. That is so, such a massive thing to be saying. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the same man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, this name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, at this moment, uh, commentators believe that there is a, a three-year gap between uh, this sentence and what comes next. Because uh, later on, uh, and I'll read this to you in a moment, uh, Saul talks about how he goes and spends three years in the desert in Arabia uh, preparing. So we pick it up at verse 23, uh, and he says, Luke writes, When many days had passed, so that's probably speaking about those three years, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and then sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that this is the word of God to us, and we want to receive it with open hearts this morning. We pray, instruct us, shape us today, take us into all that you have for us. In your wonderful name, Lord Jesus, amen. I wonder whether you believe that every single one of us, God has called to be a minister. Yeah? Every single one of us, kind of whether you're a baby Christian or whether you've been in the faith for many years, Jesus has a call on your life and he wants to make you into a minister to others. He wants you to be someone who brings his life into the life of others. And, and there may be people and you're listening today and you would say, I don't even know Jesus. You know what? The fact that you're listening today, I believe Jesus is saying, I want you too. I want you too. Now, sometimes you'll hear people using this phrase, full-time ministry, or they might talk about so-and-so who is a full-time minister, and uh, actually they're describing all of us here in this room, okay? Now, what they're probably meaning is somebody who is paid to work in the church or in a parent church organization, but that would be an unbiblical way of thinking about this. You see, Jesus Christ saved every single one of us, 
and he brings us all into full-time ministry. Whether your paid employment is in an office or in a school or in a hospital or somewhere else, maybe you're a full-time student, you are also in full-time ministry. There is no separation between what you're doing in your day job and the fact that Jesus Christ has called you his own and put you there in order to minister. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Julian. Anyone else want to say amen to that? Because this is actually really important. This is really important for us to get hold of. You see, if we all understand that God has called each and every one of us to minister, then we will understand that, uh, that coming here on a Sunday is about encountering the living God and being sent out full again into the ministry that God has for us, that we are ministering all the time to everybody, whether we're gathering in our life groups and, and in a so-called spiritual context or whether we're in a so-called unspiritual context, maybe we've gone to a party or, or maybe we're with friends on the beach or maybe we're in our workplace. All of this is the realm of ministry, and all of us are called into ministry. And so what I'm talking about this morning, how do we prepare for ministry, is for all of us. It's not just for those who would say, I believe God wants me to work for a church one day. It's for each and every single one of us. So how does God prepare us for ministry? And I want to draw out four things from this passage that we've just read. The first thing is time alone with God. The second thing is a dose of challenge, the, the reality of opposi opposition and failure. The third thing is ca the care of other believers and understanding that we're part of a team. And the fourth thing is the challenge of obscurity. And so the first thing I want to I draw out as part of our preparation, and, and you see, I believe God does this, these four processes or these four steps with every single one of us. Now, they all happen in different ways. None of our lives look the same. They're all unique. But actually, in some sense, God is doing all four of these things in all of us in order to prepare us. And it doesn't mean that we have to go through all of this before we can minister. We've just seen that Paul was ministering right from the start. But actually, there was something that God was preparing him for that was to come, uh, and, and it would take 14 years to get there, but then God would unleash him into the world with tremendous power, and God's going to unleash people in this place in due course with tremendous power, but there is this process of preparation beforehand. So the first thing, time alone, time reframing. This, this, uh, this sense of going into the desert for Paul. I, fascinating, isn't it? That he goes into the desert of Arabia. Which, so, so that's the Roman province of Arabia. That wouldn't be uh, the same geography that we would talk about in terms of Arabia today. He would have gone to the same place that Moses was. Uh, where he encountered God in Sinai. He would have gone to the same place that Elijah met with God. So, so Paul goes out and then we know nothing else about what happened in that time, other than that there were two questions Paul had asked Jesus on that road to Damascus. Number one, who are you? Who are you? And number two, what should I do? Who are you and what should I do? And I think the most important thing that happened in those three years in Arabia is that he answered those two questions. Now, today... When famous people are converted, what we tend to do is promote them. 
What we tend to do is we tend to think, oh, amazing. We've got somebody who really can tell everyone. We've got somebody who's really respected. We've got somebody who all the world will listen to. Let's put them up. Let's promote them so that the gospel might go out. But God does the absolute opposite of this with Paul. He disappears into the wilderness to get grounded and clear. And where our tendency would be uh, promotion, God's tendency in this moment is seclusion. So if you turn to Galatians 1 verse 15, Paul gives us some insight into the season. He says, but when he, Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born, now he's linking in the fact that actually even though he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, God had been preparing him for that encounter from before he was born. Set me apart from before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's the ultimate call. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. So, so after, after those three years, he then spent two weeks staying with the Apostle Peter. And together they must... I, can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting in those conversations? <laughs> the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul uh, just kind of processing faith and what Jesus has done in their lives. And Can you imagine, Paul, Peter, what was it like? When, when the bread multiplied in your hands. Peter, what was it like when he came walking on the water to you? Uh, Paul, what was it like when you were on that road to them? Can you imagine their conversation? But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. You know, it's so important that we don't rush this phase. The phase of just being with Jesus. The phase where we begin to have our relationship with Jesus gradually kind of invade all of the way we think, reshape, reframe the things that we believe. What happens in this process is that we begin to, to reprocess, we begin to reconsider our past through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. We begin to consider the future. What happens is we begin to engage with some of those things we talked about last week. What does it mean that I'm born again? That my past has gone, that Jesus has literally come to me and wiped away my past, made me into a new creation, and set me towards a new future. What does that mean? We begin to step into this, this freedom, this faith. Wow, if God can do that with me, what can He do in others' lives? What can He do through me? We begin to encounter the reality of the cross. What, what, what Sarah and, and Grace were talking about this morning, not just encountering 
the love of God in some kind of set conceptual way, but encountering the wonder of what it means that Jesus hung on a cross for me. And gradually that truth, that reality, that, that it wasn't just out there, but it's right here. It's right close. It's in my heart. It's, I'm encountering him. It's Jesus. Wow. He loves me. He cares for me. He's changing me. My, my life, which was so broken, so damaged, so distorted. Wow, there's grace just flowing from the top of my head over my whole body, through the soles of my feet, the love of God pulsating over me, God catching me up in what Jesus has done. It's me and Him. I, I, I'm, I'm caught up into that. It becomes not just conceptual, but so real. I can, I, it's not even that I reach out and touch Him, it's that I know He's filling my heart. Jesus is so Real And this is what happens in this time. We begin to encounter Jesus, and, and then it, and it reframes everything. We begin to rethink our, our position on things. What happens, I used to think, well, this was just fate. Now I realize, no, no, God was sovereign over that. I begin to reprocess all of my beliefs through that. Not only that, but I begin to process myself in the light of that. That I'm no longer the person that I used to be. That this new creation reality, I'm so changed, I'm now facing in a completely different direction. God has called me for different purposes. I'm no longer that person, I'm now this person. And we begin to step into that. And this is, this is such a crucial process. And this is why I say it's so important that we don't try to rush past this and get to the next place. God wants to do a deep, deep work of encountering Him and experiencing His love and finding our identity utterly changed in order that He can then bring us into the fullness of what He has for us. And so we begin to realize in, our, in this process that there are habits, there are things we do, there are ways we think that just aren't good for us, that aren't glorifying to God. And God begins, begins to come on them and say, no, I want that changed. I want that, that way you relate to others, I want that changed. That way you, you think about integrity or uh, uh, that way you cheat on this thing, I want that changed. And God begins to change us in that process. It's the foundation phase of your preparation for ministry. This is the foundation phase for your preparation for ministry. The second thing that God does is He begins to give us a dose of challenge. Okay, We begin to step into things and we suddenly find we're met with some opposition. We find it's harder. We, we, thought, we thought, wow, I'm in Jesus now. I'm invincible. I'll just take this thing. I'll do it. I'm, I'm going to, oh, you want me to lead a life group? Awesome. I'm your guy. I'll do this. I, there'll be no life group leader like me. Here I come. Boom. And then we hit the reality of it and we find, oh, actually, there's some challenge here. And people don't always agree with me. It's crazy. I mean, how, how could you not agree with me? And we begin to, we begin to hit things into personal uh, conflict. We begin to hit things where uh, maybe values don't line up in the same way. And it's hard. And we begin to back away from things. Listen to what Paul goes through, Acts 9.23, where many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. 
That's nice. Yeah, thanks. All I'm doing is I'm fulfilling my destiny. All I'm doing is I'm stepping into the things of Jesus. And you want to kill me for it? Well, it is a matter of life and death. We are going to face. So Paul faces some pretty challenging moments. They're watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. These guys are literally day after day and night after night posting God at the gates of the city, just waiting for Paul to come along so they can kill him. And he has to escape by being let over the wall in a basket. And so you step out for God and you, you, you get this assignment and you hit opposition. And what happens next? What happens next is part of your preparation. Do you step back? Oh, no. I, I, okay, I, I'm not going to continue with this. I'm going to back off. Or do you say, no, Jesus, you've given me grace to go through this to punch through, to press through. Because it's not me who makes the difference. It's you who makes the difference. I'm not the greatest life group leader. You're the greatest life group leader. And I'm just going to follow you and do whatever you are asking of me to do. Churchill (laughs) once said, nothing is so exhilarating as to be shot at without result. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you. Nothing is quite as exhilarating as to be shot at without result. I guess it's not so exhilarating if you are shot with result. Uh, but uh, he was... Uh, he, uh, and sometimes the truth is the bullets land. Sometimes we feel wounded and hurt in this process. And we've got to walk through that woundedness and, that hurt, and we've got to ask God for grace and strength. We've got to get with others and get healed up and we've got to keep moving forward. I remember uh, when, we, when we started UBC, uh, our meeting at UBC, just the sense of feeling, wow, we're so excited about seeing another mu- meeting multiplied on the campus. Yeah, here we go. Boom. Uh, I know God's going to move. Uh, and, um, and after a while, just beginning to realize, you know what? We made a, a mistake here. We started this thing with a meeting and not with community. We didn't begin from the ground up. We kind of flew in and thought, boom, we've got a great meeting. People will just come. And and no, actually, we need to build from the bottom up. We need to build from community. We hit some opposition. We hit a failure. It was a valuable lesson for us. The third part of Saul's training was the care of uh, of other believers. There's something else that God has to deal with in you and me, and that is this little attitude. God and me, we've got this. God and me, we've got this. We don't really need anyone else. It's just me and God. And God says, no, I don't, I don't want that in you. I want you part of a team. I want you part with others. God has to deal with our individualism. He has to smash our proclivity towards independence, doing it on our own. So Acts 9 verse 26, continuing on this story. When he'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. It's okay, Ivy. It's all right. That's better. Yeah. 
They were all afraid of him because they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how at Damascus he'd preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Paul went in and out among them in Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Even the mighty Paul needed friends who would help him, who would bring him in. He comes into this. Can you imagine? He's had this incredible encounter with Jesus, and then he comes to the church, and they reject him. It's like a wall. We don't want you anywhere near us. We know about you. Probably many of these people had had friends put in prison, and maybe even worse, through Paul. And so you can imagine there's quite a vibe. Like, this guy, you're not welcome among us. And Barnabas goes out on his own, And he goes to Paul, and he sits down with Paul, and he hears Paul out. And Paul tells him the story. And Barnabas, I guess, came to this conclusion, this is genuine, this is real. And so Paul, so Barnabas, and literally the way Luke writes it, he says he took him by the hand. He took him. There's this intimacy, there's this friendship extended. Barnabas takes him to the apostles, and he says, hey, guys, this is real. What's happened to Paul, it's real. You can accept him. And so Barnabas believed the best of him. Barnabas took him in. You know what? God wants us all part of the team. It's easy to come in and think, I can do this on my own, or I I just want to do it on my own. I want to be independent. But God says, no, come into the team. Come and be part. Receive the care of others. Let others help you. Let others bring you along. Finally, the challenge of obscurity. From Jerusalem, they send him to Caesarea and then up to Tarsus. Tarsus is where he'd grown up. And for 10 years, for 10 years, Paul is in Tarsus and we hear nothing about him. Paul goes into obscurity. The mighty Paul. The guy who's so gifted, so powerful in ministry, kind of disappears. Let me ask you this question. Has God hidden you? Has God hidden you? You you were getting opportunities, but now they've dried up. You were a key part of something. Now it feels like you're on the outside. You were like David after he killed Goliath. The crowds singing. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Everybody loves you. But now you feel a little bit like David chased around in the wilderness for 13 years by Saul. Is that you? Do you feel like God's hidden you? Do you feel like God's taken those opportunities away from you? Do you feel like God's... uh, Do you feel like there's nothing happening? Trust me, it's a key part of your preparation. God wants you to walk through this season with great faithfulness. And here are two things that you can do in this season to really make the most of your preparation. Number one, build the most excellent attitude towards others towards ministry, towards the challenges you face. And do it without anyone knowing. 
Don't worry about what other people know. Maybe get off social media. Maybe get into a place where you're able just to receive from God and to serve those around you. Don't look for the limelight. Don't seek it out. When God's good and ready, He'll bring you into what He's promised. Second of all, so first of all, build the most excellent attitude. Second of all, build faithfully. Do what God's asking you to do. Just do it. Just do it. And do it well. Just do the thing that He's put in front of you and do it as well as you possibly can. Serve well. Serve others. Serve God's people. Serve the people God's put in your life. And do that really well. And see what God will do in this season. Because there will come a time, if you walk through the season well, when God will unhide you. Where God will bring you into all that He has for you. So in conclusion, Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness to complete his training. David spent, well, I guess years on the hills of Bethlehem and then a short cameo around the time of Goliath and then 13 years running from Saul. Paul spent 14 years before he was ready. God's not in a rush. God's not in a rush. Are there mountains that God keeps bringing you to? Do you seem to face the same hurdles over and over and over again? Maybe it's not the people around you that's the issue. But maybe it's that God wants to deal with something in you. And so until you come through that, God's going to keep bringing you around to that same mountain over and over again. Why? Because He cares about you so much, He's not prepared to leave it in your life. He says, I'm going to bring you around again. I'm going to bring you around again. You're too precious to me to leave you. It's a test He wants you to pass. When we blame others or we minimize our attitude or, or, or the issue then God will simply take us around the mountain again. Do you want to go around the mountain again? He loves you too much to leave that stuff in your life. Someone once said, God ruthlessly perfects those He royally elects. God ruthlessly perfects. God is utterly committed to your sanctification. He's utterly committed to transforming you because He has called you for purpose. So He will work and work and work and work until He is able to use you in the way that He wants to. God won't share His glory with us. So until we're able to get out of the way and shine the spotlight on God. He won't use us in the way that He wants to. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. And this maybe sums up everything that I'm saying this morning. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
I, I wasn't clever in front of you. I didn't make incredible arguments and win you with my oratory skill. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. See, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to bring us to a place where we are so full of Him that what leaks out of us in every circumstance, in every situation, is Him and a love for Him and His love for us. Benjamin Franklin, sorry, I think this was actually Abraham Lincoln who said this. Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. <laughs> What's God doing in you right now? Is He sharpening the axe? How can you cooperate with Him? Why don't you stand with me? I wonder if Anne could come back up. Why don't you just close your eyes? This is a moment for you and God together. Just going to ask you a question. Where are you at in your training? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about right now? What's He saying to you? What's God asking you to do? Are there areas where you recognize I'm back at that same mountain? Do you recognize God just saying, I want you to come and take time out and be with me? Is this a moment for losing your independence? Becoming part of the team. Is this a moment to persevere when you're hitting challenge? Is this a moment for being faithful in obscurity? What's God doing with you? The Holy Spirit is speaking to numbers of us right now. What I want to do is, I just want to pray, but then I want to invite people to come down to the front so we can pray for you. If you know right now, God is just speaking to you about one of these things. He's putting his hand upon you. I want to invite you down. So why don't you come on down to the front? Why don't you come on down? I know God's speaking to numbers of us. Don't worry about others. This is not about what others think. Or Just come on down. Just step out. Be bold and courageous. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you for what you're doing right now. Holy Spirit, 
just come. Maybe you want to stretch out your hands to him. Just say yes to him. <laughs> 